This podcast is an EGA production. Welcome to Forecasting the Middle East, the EGA podcast on Middle East business, politics, and trends. I'm Tyler Jones, Director of Middle East and North Africa with EGA in Washington, D.C. As states across the Middle East turn their sights towards economic diversification, tourism is emerging as a point of emphasis in all major economies in the region. Today, the Middle East hosts roughly 90 million travelers each year, with places like Saudi Arabia and the UAE putting significant investments into new, large-scale tourism projects, this sector is likely to grow in years to come. Helping us understand the Middle East tourism sector is Muzammil Ahussein, CEO of Al Musafir. Al Musafir, a subsidiary of Sira Group, is Saudi Arabia's largest travel company. In June 2022, Al Musafir recorded the highest levels of consumer travel bookings in its history, exceeding pre-pandemic levels by 27%. Muzammil has been with Al Musafir since 2016 and has been a driving force behind the company's growth into one of the region's leading travel businesses. Today, Muzammil sat down with us to discuss the state of tourism in the Middle East and where the sector is heading. Muzammil Hussein, thanks for being with us today. Uh, thank you for having me. So, Muzammil, I'd like to start just doing a, a real broad sector overview of tourism in the Middle East right now, getting a sense of the landscape. So let me give you some of the numbers then. In 2022, visitors to the Middle East hit 83% of pre-pandemic uh, tourism. Line this up next to global tourism hotspot like Europe coming in 80%, and you have the Americas coming in around 65%. The Middle East led the world. And then put that next to what the World Travel and Tourism Council is saying right now, that over the next decade, tourism across the Middle East is going to create 3.6 million jobs. And the average annual growth in the sector is expected to outpace the overall economy in the region for the next 10 years. These numbers, by all metrics, are excellent. So how do you explain this? Well, I think... Um... First of all, um, I think I think there's there's a number of uh, ways to look at it. First, let's talk about 2022 and even 2020 and 2021, which were by all by all means for the rest of the world essentially limited to very limited tourism or domestic tourism. Actually, what you had in the region was a very strong response to the COVID pandemic to quickly get it under control uh, and to quickly put in rules and regulations, not only for the residents and citizens of the region, but also for visitors coming to the region that created a level of comfort and transparency, uh, which created uh, a sense of normalcy, uh, especially for people in other parts of the world. There was not um, unknowns, it was, it was fairly normal. Uh, the life went on, yes, people were masked, et cetera, but it was fairly normal. Uh, so what I think resulted was, uh, um, in 2020, 2021, 2022, was that sense of comfort resulted in a quick rebound uh, uh, of tourism. And while you say 83% of pre-pandemic levels, I think that's that's true, but actually it would have been much higher. The only reason we, the Middle East probably didn't get above the pre-pandemic levels was not because of uh, the region. It was actually because the other countries didn't have the full opening of their borders, especially for the first half of the year. 
So the Middle East was ready to welcome visitors, even in some countries like UAE in 2020 in the summer. Uh, so I think that's the first, uh, the first part of the question. Second part of this on the future, uh, and that's also linked to what happened during the, the COVID pandemic, was there was a continued investment in tourism infrastructure, tourism projects, and things to do to excite tourism. You know, you had thousands of new hotel room nights, uh, hotel rooms opening in, in Saudi Arabia and the UAE. New projects continue to be announced. Uh, places like Al Ula were continuing to be developed. The Red Sea is now opening. So nothing stopped. So that's why we're continuing to be seeing the future growth because every major country in this region has tourism on their agenda, uh, uh, regional, domestic, and international tourism on their agenda for uh, to support their, their economy and GDP. No, you're making a good point there when you say that tourism across the region for all, for all countries is a point of emphasis right now. And you're seeing places certainly like Saudi Arabia and the UAE that have, have written this international strategies. Looking out for the next decade or more, places like Saudi Arabia and the UAE saying, our economic diversification will be based upon many pillars, one of them being tourism. And I think at this point, the numbers would suggest this is absolutely paying off. But what would you say then are the countries in the Middle East that people aren't talking about? in the tourism sector. Everyone is talking about Saudi Arabia and the UAE for good reason. Where, where are the countries that are flying under the radar where there is still a lot of untapped opportunity? Uh, I mean, uh, as you said, Saudi and UAE are, are definitely on the top of the kind of radar in terms of everyone knows what's going on. A lot of people will know what's going on. Uh, I can highlight a few other ones. For example, look at Qatar. They just finished the World Cup and they were able to handle what, what some say is one of the, the most uh, organized and uh, efficient and effective uh, World Cups uh, in the history. Uh, you have Oman, which is building out a lot of new sites, has a lot of nature, has a unique culture uh, as well. Uh, Oman is, is, is a great place for tourism and it's also focusing on tourism strategy. Uh, these are two that come to mind right now, but I think, as you said, uh, Jordan uh, with Petra and those and, and the and the historical ruins around of, of the Roman Roman uh, civilization in Jordan. So each country in the Middle East, uh, even going into North Africa, like Egypt, continues to have tourism play a big role and will continue to have it uh, from my perspective. So let's flip it around here for a second then. Outside of the Middle East, based on, on what you're seeing with Al Musafir and just general regional trends, what what destinations are you seeing most travelers from the Middle East seeking to visit outside of the region? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think we break it up into three three buckets. Our primary source market is Saudi Arabia, but we're also in, in the rest of the region, like Kuwait and UAE. But we, there is a strong uh, uh, focus, uh, uh, let's say, domestic travel. So exploring the various parts of Saudi Arabia, including the religious sites. Well, we sec the second bucket we have is regional travel. So it's between Saudi, UAE, Saudi, Egypt, UAE, Saudi, etc. Uh, that's continued to remain strong. In terms of international destinations outside the region, um, there's the what we call like the the legacy or the common hotspots that people from the region have continued to go to, and they continue to remain strong. That's London and Paris. Uh, in the, in the winter time or springtime, Switzerland is very popular. Uh, however, we have uh, some up-and-coming destinations 
Uh, recently, last year, the borders with Thailand and Saudi Arabia, the, the international immigration is open. So Thailand is now a hotspot, both the, the islands like Phuket, but also Bangkok. You have an opening now of Asia again, so that's starting again. But I think, uh, and Turkey. Turkey is very uh, common destination for the region, as well as the rest of uh, Eastern Europe. So, so things like places like Bosnia, uh, places like Georgia, Azerbaijan, they continue to be not top, top destinations, but common destinations that say the top 10 or 15 of our, of our, of our customers. Okay. And you, just, so, just to add to that, you'll see uh, recently many of the local airlines in the region, uh, especially Saudi Arabia, Saudi Airlines and Flynot have added a lot more destinations uh, into their flight network. I think Saudi announced 25 new destinations in 2023, a lot of which are to, to both hotspots where people travel and also where travelers come from. So it's, it's a really, really popular. Now you see a lot more flights to Bosnia, to, to Eastern Europe uh, from within Saudi Arabia, direct connectivity, which will, I think, improve only tourism even further. So, so you're, you're hitting out a point there that I want to address with the airlines and opening up new routes, opening up new itineraries to reach new markets, which is essential. It has to happen if these tourism strategies are going to be successful. You have to be able to tap into these kinds of markets. Um, but I also think that what you're seeing right now when you're lining up tourism strategies from, from some of the major players in the Middle East next to some of the infrastructure and logistical realities right now, I think the numbers would suggest that there might be a bit of a disconnect today. For example, Saudi Arabia is working very hard to try to increase the intrastate connectivity within Saudi Arabia. And you have places like Egypt and Qatar that really need to increase the workforce and the available hotel rooms to meet what their ambitious strategies are to attract these tourists. So for these states that are putting out these big plans and these big strategies to bring in new travelers, they also need to increase their capacity and their infrastructure. What do you think needs to be done there to, to bridge that gap? So I think, as you said, uh, the key the key for the destination here is actually the, the infrastructure. Uh, you see, uh, you've seen a lot of announcements of the expansion of, uh, of so there's an opening of new airports in the region. There's the expansion of gate gate access and gate, gate slots. Yep. Uh, that's been the major challenge. Uh, most of these airports are are out of gate slots. You have Riyadh announcing the new the new airport in Riyadh. The Jeddah airport just opened. You have a new airport in the Red Sea. Uh, Alula has now become international. Neom is now becoming international. Uh, Dubai has uh, is continued to expand its second airport, uh, Al Maktoum Airport. You have uh, uh, um, you have more 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 gate slots that are driving that. Uh, additionally, the the additional routes that the the uh, civil aviation authorities are are enabling. Uh, will help facilitate this. So, uh, for example, in Saudi Arabia, the the Ministry of Tourism launched the airline connectivity program. It's a it's a it's a it's a mandate. Uh, it's an organization within the ministry, uh, chaired by the minister himself, I believe, where uh, they facilitate new access and identify routes working with airlines internationally and domestically of where we want to where traffic is supposed to come. So it's a it's a specific focus area to drink. To, to develop infrastructure and facilitate, yep. uh, let's say, airline routes and approvals to streamline the traffic into the into the country or into the region. Sure. Okay. Uh, I'd like to talk then for a second about within the tourism sector, de targeting different de demographics, different clientele. Um, 
in some of the the regional leaders, you're seeing a real emphasis on high end, high luxury products attracting high net worth individuals. And again, I think the numbers at this point would suggest that's successful. Do you think that this emphasis may be missing some key markets, some key demographics like families, like middle class travelers that would love to visit the region, would love to experience what these countries are opening up and offering. But if the focus isn't on that demographic, they're not able to enter the market. Yeah, I, I think it's a very good point. Um, I think you have to take it uh, country by country and scenario by scenario, uh, depending on their uh, life cycle and where they are in their, let's say, uh, uh, tourism ecosystem. So if we start with, uh, for example, Saudi Arabia, yes, there are, there's Alula, there's the Red Sea, which are ultra high net worth, if not high net worth, uh, really, really high end experiences at a higher price point. But that's just the start. As they develop over time, you, you're seeing also in Saudi Arabia projects like Kedia or uh, Riyadh, uh, uh, a lot of entertainment activities, which are more geared towards family and entertainment and middle class. Uh, of course, the historical sites, uh, the religious sites of Saudi Arabia, Mecca and Medina have for thousands of, for th over a thousand years, welcomed uh, uh, families, uh, all levels of income, and they still have the ability to do that. Uh, the newer projects, I think, will start at a higher end, and they will then, so as the projects uh, develop and scale, will all be able to serve also the the, the middle class, uh, the middle middle class, more more family oriented. Uh, places like Dubai are well, have all levels already, so they have family experiences as well. They're targeted for uh, premium segments uh, and even the more um, middle class or family segment. If you look at Abu Dhabi, which is also nearby to Dubai but up and coming. They've invested a lot in uh, Yas Island, which is an area, uh, you know, let's say 15, 20 minutes from the capital. And that has now uh, a number of theme parks. It has uh, opening a SeaWorld this year, which will then facilitate more family entertainment and leisure. It has a Warner Brothers uh, theme park as well. So they are they are focused on it. It's just maybe not always the, the most talked about, but it is part of the long-term strategy for every major destination to welcome also families and, and middle class as well. And I, I know earlier you, you touched on domestic travel within the region, which I know is is a segment that Al-Musafir does a lot of work in. And during and post-COVID, I know Saudi Arabia tapped into the domestic tourism market quite a bit. Do you see either in Saudi Arabia or in the broader Middle East, do you see room then to expand this focus on domestic tourism, not simply bringing in international travelers, but really increasing the the attention and the interest from domestic internal clientele. Yeah, I think I think it depends on the country, but in general, if you take uh, Saudi Arabia, definitely with these new tourism sites opening, they're also for uh, domestic uh, citizens and residents to explore. Um, a lot of people in Saudi Arabia before COVID never actually got a chance to explore other parts of the country. Or if they did, it was primarily either for business or to visit a family or for like a wedding or a specific occasion. It wasn't as a tourist. That has changed. The mindset has changed. Uh, Saudi Arabia has increased its um, school, uh, changed its modified its school schedule to allow for much more long weekends. Almost every month there's a long weekend, which then increases the frequency of shorter trips domestic trips 
but the international ships are still there for the longer breaks. UAE uh, always had a little bit of a culture of staycations, but during COVID it emphasized more people want to also explore these really cool and amazing hotels that open up in, in Dubai or Abu Dhabi, for example. Atlantis the Royal just opened. It's not far, but people will go and spend a staycation there. So I think it will all it will be an always-on element of every uh, tourism uh, strategy in this country to facilitate also domestic tourism. And then secondly, also region, regional tourism. You see that now Saudi Arabia has opened up. Uh, it's uh, has required all GCC, uh, UAE residents do not need a visa uh, to get on. They, they're, they're given a visa automatically through a process. There's no need to apply for us. Uh, EVs anymore, regardless of which country you come from. So they're facilitating also regional travel. So I want to look ahead here for a second. Uh, like I said at the top, the numbers, the tourism numbers in the region right now, both today and then forward looking, are excellent. And you're mentioning that policies right now that places like Saudi Arabia are putting in place to increase tourism, obviously they're paying off. On top of that, to maintain this momentum, to maintain these numbers, what do you think governments, let's, well, we'll start with governments. What do you think regional governments need to be doing to sustain this momentum? I think um, right now it's a period of, especially uh, the newer destinations to invest in the infrastructure, but it's also, you see that it's got to invest in the human capital ecosystem to welcome uh, tourists and make sure they have memorable experiences to actually tell others and come back, right? So you want people to come in and join the mating site, but you need to be ready to welcome them, to, to facilitate, to host them, to give them experiences and, and things that they would never be able to see anywhere else. Uh, and you also want to facilitate uh, awareness of that destination. So I take Saudi Arabia, for example, you have these great projects that are being built, whether it's Kedia, Red Sea, Alula, and they're starting to be marketing now. They're starting to market. People know about it. Yeah. When they come, we need to make sure that the human capital is there. They have a great experience, not only the product, but the culture, the hospitality, the entire trip from booking all the way to arrival. So they leave, they have a positive uh, experience. So they tell their friends about it. They talk about it again and they go back. So the promotion and infrastructure is there now and they started to develop the human capital. That needs to be a long-lasting, you know, ecosystem where we train thousands of thousands of people. As you mentioned, 3.6 million jobs being created in the region. That's going to require a lot of training, a lot of investment in technology and education, uh, which I think the governments are already doing, but they need to continue to do that to make sure that even once these parties are ready, they, they're, they're long-lasting. So then you would say, based on what you and Al Musafir are seeing across the region, there is that understanding at the government level that we need to increase our human capital our human capital and the training and the infrastructure behind that. There is that understanding right now. 100%. So they, 100%. okay. So then in terms of headwinds moving forward here, what do you see being the obstacles? What's going to be the challenge that the, the tourism industry across the Middle East has to confront? Um, I think, there's probably a few, uh, not all are. So one is uh, just, uh, as you see recently, there's been a lot of uh, geopolitical stability now in the region. We've seen uh, uh, improvement even in relations between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Uh, the Gulf blockade of uh, Qatar was, was, was ended last year before 
two years ago, so before the World Cup. So, so uh, if there if there is political instability, that always creates a barrier for tourism. Uh, so that's something that needs to be always accounted for. Uh, secondly, um, I think uh, what has to happen is as as uh, the price point needs to come down over the long term as you want to get more scale. Yeah. So as you want to hit the 100 million, the 50 million visitors, you got to continue to bring the price point down, got down to attract uh, a larger population of people that can, that can afford uh, at scale. Uh, and lastly, as I think we mentioned it already, but it's about the connectivity. We have to continue to build infrastructure in the region to connect people. I know Dubai or Saudi Riyadh, for example, are within six hours, you can pretty much get to half the world's population. But if you can't fly them or connect them easily, it's going to inhibit uh, what, how much tourism you can, you can achieve. So you're mentioning price point then, which, which links up with a previous question then about hitting all of, all of the demographics. Yeah. How would you say within the industry, they can go about making sure that their price point does lead to scale? Uh, so I think that, that what they're, what a lot of these, uh, uh, the, the, let's say the government or the tourism boards and even the, the projects that are being built uh, are working to attract multiple segments. Uh, we always see the, 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 the super luxury a lot in the media, etc. But actually, a lot of investments happening in, in projects that are more attractive price point, uh, as well as uh, more they're being built for larger populations of, of visitors. So you have theme parks being built. You have not. You have events like the Riyadh season had a number of events almost every day for six months to welcome guests and things to do in the country. You have uh, uh, things like that to bring the price point down because once they're done at scale, you have a lot more ability to to drive that price down because the initial upfront infrastructure investment can be can be uh, spread across a lot more uh, people. Yep. So in terms of the regulatory framework, either just in Saudi or, or across the region, then do you think governments need to be adapting the regulations in this sector to continue promoting growth? Um, I think they are, first of all. I think in this region, you'll see that the ministries, they have, first of all, they have ministries of tourism our Department of Tourism, which a lot of countries don't always have. So it's already on the agenda. Um, it's part of their national strategy to diversify the economy. Uh, a lot of them are digital and technology first in these ministries and really enabling a seamless ecosystem. I don't know if you've been to the region uh, recently, Tyler, but the, even the airport processes in these countries are, is, is yes. probably yep. 100 times faster than maybe Europe or the US. It's, yeah. it's in and out, it's seamless. Now, when I go to the airport in, in Dubai or Saudi Arabia, I don't even have to show my passport. It looks yeah, like for I, sure. Man. So, so or my fingerprint. So, so you see that they're facilitating uh, using technology to facilitate regulations, uh, easing access to the country, easing transportation. You have uh, Saudi, uh, the Etihad rail is now opening. You have the rails in from Mecca to Jeddah, Mecca to Medina. So you have a lot more uh, investment in the infrastructure and the technology and digital and the regulations. The Ministry of Tourism in Saudi Arabia just announced a whole host of new regulations to enable uh, 
Airbnb-like um, apartments uh, being sold across Saudi Arabia. You have new regulations to control uh, the quality and the standards to welcome international guests. So it is on their agenda already, and they need to continue that. So you're, you're hitting on technology and, and digitalization here, which uh, I also understand Al Musafir does, does a lot of work with in the tourism sector. And I want to touch on that because you're seeing places like Saudi Arabia really embracing technology, embracing digitalization and how it can promote and, and really streamline tourism. How do you see digitalization and technology playing a role in the future here? How do you see that expanding? I think technology has two, two, two or three major uh, roles to play. Um, first is with the actual traveler. So from, from a traveler perspective, technology or tourist perspective, when, when they come to a country, they need to be able to explore, book, and experience the country and be enabled by technology. That could be everything from using virtual reality to explore the country before you come, to making sure you have easy access to guides and things to do on your phone when you're in a country. It's easy to book experiences and tours um, to all the way to book the, the entire trip and, the, uh, and change your trip and adjust your trip through the whole, the whole experience. The second level technology has a role to play is actually with, with the service providers for the, the airlines, the agents, the hotels, all the tour guides to ensure that that ecosystem is connected to the customer easily uh, so they can get here but also can be served well. Uh, you see a lot of airlines rolling out new technologies. You see a lot more information being shared to the customer. Hotels are now allowing keyless check-in. You can get your WhatsApp to your concierge or your butler to make the life easier. Uh, and lastly, it's actually for the actual um, mega, mega sites or mega projects using technology to, to build it into their experience. So now you have in Dubai Open the Museum of the Future, Alula has different sites, the Red Sea will be, you know, technology able to be very green and sustainable. You have, so it's built into the actual site itself or tourism site. So these are all the elements technology has a role to play in. And if you can, I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a must, it's not even an option anymore. So big picture then, for international investors, for businesses that are either working in tourism right now or thinking of expanding into this kind of market across the board, be it infrastructure or tech, anything like that, where do you see the greatest opportunity for expansion in this market in the near term? I think there's so many. It's hard to it's hard to pinpoint um, what we are doing as a massacre. Um, we are focused on. Uh, partnering with international uh, uh, companies to promote and uh, welcome so the tour aid to tour operators around the world to promote Saudi Arabia and help uh, you know bring their their tour their customers into the region. Uh, but there's every element, right? So you have the hospitality ecosystem is looking for international partners to build out unique experiences, and you see all the hotel chains have have come here, and uh, there's many many more looking to come. You see international specialty providers, whether it's from everything from construction to these major sites, all the way to delivering a unique experience and service to certain restaurants and cuisines willing to come here. So I think I think the opportunities are endless. 
Uh, it's about being specialized. It's about being knowing your product very well and what you're delivering and finding the right partner to, to do that. But the region is always open and welcome to international investors. It's also looking for them. Uh, and it wants to facilitate a unique experience for their for the tourists and many of these international it's not a, it's not a lift and shift right you need to tailor your product your service your offering to the region uh, but i think bringing the best of both uh would, would create a huge opportunity for anyone coming to the region so my last question then and i have to ask because i think uh, by all accounts you are the expert when it comes to tourism in the middle east right now what is your favorite tourism destination in the middle east in the middle east yep if you had to pick one place where's it going to be uh, yeah well from the mouth of the expert it's hard to disagree with that thank you mazamala hussein chief executive officer for al musafir thank you very much for being with us today thank you